Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would, get your Bibles open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Give just a little bit of a background here. Um, in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talked about an individual's use of, li- of their liberty. So basically what he did in chapter 8 was he built parameters about, around what our Christian liberty really is. So, I mean, these are the things the Apostle Paul talked All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. Okay, these are things that, that basically under grace you have the right to do a lot of things, but the question is, are those things beneficial and purposeful? And we're going to put this in the application of culture today. Um, the church is continually withdrawing from the culture. Even the Christian culture is withdrawing from our culture outside of the church. We're isolating. You know what I mean? How many ministries do churches right now, how many ministries do churches do that, that fall inside the four walls of their building versus the ministries that they're doing that fall outside of the walls of their building? Most of them inside or outside? Inside. And it's something that's just like the frog in boiling water. I'm sure you guys have heard this before. If you take a frog, you put him in, you put him in room temperature water or body temperature water, and you slowly raise the heat on that water, that frog will stay in there and boil to death. Because if you raise the temperature slowly enough, he can't tell the temperature's going up and his skin will eventually get to where it's just numb and he'll boil in the pot without being tied to it. And it's the same thing that happens in our culture. Uh, the, the water temperature raises so slightly in the culture. And by that, I mean, we, we, up until a couple years ago, you could see changes happening in the culture, but they were subtle kind of changes. We're seeing now it kind of rapidly pick up. There's a whole bunch of cultural changes that are going on. But what this has caused the church, the church to do is to withdraw from them. How much are churches engaging transsexuals, transgenders, homosexuals? How much is the church engaging them? Is the church engaging them more for the sake of, of uh, providing the gospel? Or when it does engage them, does it engage them critically because of their sinful lifestyle? It's critical. Now, I'm going to sit here and tell you that as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there's nothing more powerful than grace. Your liberty means that in God's eyes, you are perfect by the imputed righteousness of Christ. When you stand before God, he will not see any part of you He will see only the blood of his son. Now, I'm going to be careful here because I don't want to be dangerous. Because this is dangerous. It's a dangerous line to even draw close to. Because there are individuals who are a part of our culture that we are driving away from Calvary and not drawing them to Calvary. And our liberty gives us freedom to do so. You hear me? 
You have the freedom to tell somebody about Jesus or not tell somebody about Jesus. The point is this. You can tell them about Jesus or not tell them about Jesus, and what are your consequences? None. Not one. Grace is grace, right? If you've trusted in Christ, how many mindless opportunities have we walked past not even seeing because our head was somewhere else? Are you guilty? If our head's somewhere else and we're walking past people that God's going, hey, look at all the flags on this person's head who's ready to to trust in me. If we're too busy in life that we're not seeing this, then we're not engaging with the culture. If we're critical of the culture without coming up with ways to engage it, then we're just critical. Again, there's no consequence for us, but what's the consequence for the other person? If, if, if tell somebody about Jesus, don't tell somebody about Jesus. No sweat off my shoulders. Whether I do or not is not going to affect my salvation because I have liberty in Christ. But what about the other person? What does my choice within my own free liberty, what effect or impact does it have on the other person? Because the truth is this. Do you know what we do every day of our lives? Exactly what we want to. It's the truth. I mean, it's like, you can, you can sit with me and tell me everything that you believe. Do I really get what you believe by you telling me? Or would I get a much more accurate picture by watching you? What you believe, you will be. That's a fact. If you're someone who believes in abortions, you'll have one. If you're someone who believes in abortions, you'll encourage a woman to have one. As Christians, we are tied into a Christian culture that isn't a responsibility where God says, you have to do this or I'm going to slap you on the back of the hand. The truth is Jesus has already taken all your slaps on on the back of the hand. You get no more. He's taken them all. So the consequence isn't ours. But how comfortable should we be in our lives when the choices that we make, we know or come to realize the choices we make that have no bearing on us have everything in the world to do with the other people, the ones that we're supposed to be interacting with. And if the church is isolating itself inside its walls, where are most believers? Where are most non-believers? In here, out there. They're out there. I love Vacation Bible School. I think that it works like this. But I don't think it needs to stop there. We need to see how much it costs to rent the, the horse show grounds down there and put a day camp on right here in Hillsboro. It's a pretty good idea. It's not that this place is doing everything wrong. It's just that we are not doing as much right as we can be. And we're no different than any other church. The question is, at what point do we as individuals accept our circumstances? Can't share the gospel? If you accept that you will never be able to put yourself out there and share the gospel, I can promise you that you will never do one thing. You will never share the gospel. Because as long as we think about, I may be put on the spot and may not know. I may be ridiculed. I may be persecuted. What's your penalty from God for doing or not doing? But what's their consequence 
for us doing or not doing. Honestly, let's think about this on a friendship level. If I'm walking the planet for the remainder of my days, and I literally, in Christ, can do no wrong, even in my wrong, I can do no wrong. But I know that there are other people in the world who are still impacted by the sin that causes eternal death and damnation. What if I'm, what kind of a person does it make me if I'm fine? And I just walk through life as if everybody else is too? And I believe that's most Christians in the world today. Most Christians. Because we have liberty, and all of us are using our liberties swimmingly. You know why? Because you can't misuse it in Christ. Either you have a relationship with him or you don't. If you have a relationship with him, the Bible is clear. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That your sins have been forgiving you, past, present, and future. If you really trust in Christ, we will never live a life driven to sin, but we will also never live a perfect life that is absent from sin. We're human beings. And when we settle into a groove, that groove in Christ is completely acceptable. But action or inaction, both carry consequences. They just aren't ours. They ain't ours. Read with me. I'm going to read for a little while on this part because we're going to cover it all and then, I'll, then we'll get uh, some context on why he's saying it. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Now he says, do we not more for this reason? Paul planted that church. There is no mistake in his apostleship. There is no mistake in his doctrine. And there is no mistaking his purpose. But what happened was all of the false teachers come into the picture and what do you think they were focused on? Money. But see, Paul came in there with all of these things and when he started saying, do I not have the right to take, is it just me and Barnabas that don't have the right to take a believing wife? Do I not have the right to eat and drink? 
Do I not have the, so Paul's basically saying, I have the right to do everything. I have the right, and he uses the temple as assurance. He says, I have the right because I give you spiritual things that you give me material things. I have that right. But then as we read on, you know what he says? I asked of none of it from you. Now, this doesn't mean that the Apostle Paul wasn't being paid. He was being paid by the support from other churches who were taking up collections and paying him. The point is this. When Paul walked into Corinth, the Spirit led him to determine exactly how much of an effect a financial responsibility on a brand new church was going to be on that church. So Paul says, I'm not going to make the church pay me. He'll go make tents and make his own money. And the reason for that is, if, if he allowed the things that he had a right to to control him, it would have an effect on the gospel. So when he looked at the situation, he goes, yeah, I, I deserve a paycheck, but this place ain't going to be able to afford it. And how do we get it off of its feet if it can't afford it? Do I force charge it? Do I take money it don't have if you're actually trying to build it? No. So Paul did have a right to take a believing wife, but he didn't. Why? Well, he explains to us, he explains to us very clearly that he says that his desire for all men was, would be that they would stay single, but he says, that's me, not the Lord. And he goes on to explain that when a person gets married, that person then divides their time. They don't have as much time to invest in the ministry as they did before they got married. But he said, nonetheless, if lust burns in your heart, take, take for you a believing wife. He had the right to do that. But Paul, when he looked at the call, when God called him on the road to Damascus, he looked at the call as, a, as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he stepped out, and everything that he did was calculated, and it was for the purpose of the effectiveness of the gospel. He didn't say some of the things he didn't say because he knew the gospel was more effective if he kept his mouth shut. He did say the things that he said because those things promoted the spreading of the gospel. So the, the internal choices that the Apostle Paul made, those internal choices, they weren't choices that were driven by money. They weren't driven by material things. They were driven by the desire of his heart, which was that the lost person hear about Jesus, the greatest story ever told. Did you know that there's a difference between loving to preach and loving who you preach to? Did you ever think of that? Preachers love to preach. I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, all week long you're anticipating it. You're kind of chomping at the bits going, ooh, I could do this again. But there's a difference between loving to preach and loving those you preach to. There's a difference. I happen to think that Hellfire Brimstone sermons, those are preached primarily by people who love to preach. But why? Because their intention is to force you into a position. What about that's loving? What about that's caring? It doesn't promote the gospel. We don't promote people running around in the aisles and jumping pews. Why? It does not promote the gospel. We don't promote people speaking in tongues other than English. 
Why? Because it pulls attention away from the gospel. We structure our lives the exact same way, but I don't think that we look at it as minutely as we should. Let's keep reading. I'm going to start back at uh, 12. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nonetheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it may be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me. You know what a lot of people look at when he says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel? It means, people think that it means that they're ashamed of themselves, that they will be depressed, that it will bring them down. This is not what this means. What does it mean when it brings up the 12 woes? Or the seven woes that are brought up in the Gospels. What does that mean? What does it mean, woe to? For a preacher to not preach the Gospel. There is an accountability meeting coming that I do not want to be a part of. Because this was part of the deal. He gave me salvation. He called me, I answered it. It's like people complaining about their jobs. I honestly don't get this. I mean, I get some jobs will do things midstream that make people mad. But I met people at Walmart. They go in the first week and they complain about the job. I'm like, did you not sit down with the HR person? Did they not give you exactly what you agreed to to come and do this job? And did you not sign on the dotted line? So please be quiet, do your job, and let's move on with life. But it seems like that we as Christians are honestly getting the same way. There's the parts of Christianity that we love to emphasize because that's the good part. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. What did God call a preacher to do? And what good is a preacher if he doesn't preach? Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. So here's what the Apostle Paul seen all this as. He's seen asking the church for money as a hindrance to the gospel, so he didn't ask for it. He's seen his choice not to take a wife, if he took one, was going to affect his ability to carry out his calling in his life. So he didn't take one. He had the right to. He had the right to expect money, but he didn't take it. Why? Because it would hinder the gospel. Not only does action potentially hinder the gospel, but you know what else hinders it? Inaction hinders the gospel. If we were people who woke up in the morning and said, Lord, give me eyes that will give me the ability to avoid any trap that hinders the gospel, how many opportunities do you think it would have in a day? Because the thing is, just because I'm going to answer an age-old question for all of y'all. If a tree falls in the woods and nobody is around, it does make a sound. 
I don't care whether there is anybody there to hear it or if that brings affirmation to the scientific analysis. I have heard enough trees fall to know that every one of them, whether a person was around or not, have made a sound. You know what I've never heard in my life? I have never heard a tree fall and not make a sound. So why would I assume that if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody around, it won't make a sound? But that's who we are as Christians. I mean, if you don't see the lost person, are they really there? I mean, literally. If the world is full of lost people, but we never see them, are they there? They are. And they're just as lost as the day that we met them. And we don't have to tell them about Jesus. You'll get forgiven for that. It's already forgiven. You don't have to tell them. Let's just let them all die. Because, folks, this comes down to this it's our choices. We choose. We choose whether we're going to tell somebody about Jesus. We choose whether we're going to engage the culture or not. We choose if we're going to fill our lives up with everything else in the world and exclude things that God specifically called to us in our specific lives. Because he wants to do amazing, miraculous things through us. But how can he do it if we can't even catch on to his first request to tell people about me? And a lot of people think it's hard to tell people about Jesus. It's not. It's not. You don't have to know theology. You don't have to be someone who went to to uh, cemetery. You don't have to know all the answers. You just got to be honest enough to be able to say, when you don't know the answer, I don't know the answer. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave three days later beating death he not only beat it for himself but he beat it for us how hard was that what if they have questions what if they have questions give them my phone number they got some questions too tough for you to answer give them my phone number you want to arrange a meeting with me and them arrange a meeting because God doesn't expect you or me to know everything he didn't say know everything and then go tell people about me Make sure that you train yourself up real well and then you go tell people about me. He doesn't say that. Do you know who the people who proclaim the gospel the most are? Brand new Christians. So explain to me how this math works. How does a brand new Christian excited in a relationship with Christ have no question about the amount of information that they do not have because all they know is the information that got them saved. Amen? They're brand new. You know what they're out there telling everybody? The information that got them saved. That's what they're telling people. And then we have 10, 15, 20, 40-year-old Christians who don't tell people about Jesus. And it's like, why? Because I'm afraid what will happen to me. Did you see the infant toddlers running around out there who just trusted in Christ that are telling people about Jesus? And how ridiculous should that make us feel if we're not people? If we're mature Christians, we've been at this for this long, and we're not telling people about Jesus. I want to tell you something. You're doing it wrong. Because that's what this is all supposed to be about. 
When we sit in Bible study or we sit in church and we learn the gospels, the gospel, the message itself is there for the purpose of teaching and training us up to be a part of the institution that Jesus called for the purpose of bringing salvation to the lost. And how, if we were to go through an assessment, how would the church in the United States add up today if we did that? The church don't grow just through miraculous moving of the Holy Spirit. And I know I use this a lot, but to me it's a pattern, and it's a pattern that makes sense. Knock. It will be opened unto you. Seek. In what situation do you find in Scripture where Jesus pecks you on the shoulder and go, hey, I'm going to need you to change a few things. Now the Holy Spirit does that. Amen? We have got to become individuals who understand that the consequence for us or the benefit to us is not what we're supposed to be operating by. It's just not. Somebody changed my clock back there. I ain't falling for it. I got five more minutes. So uh, look at 17. He says, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. If I, it, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. So I want to tell you what he's saying here, okay? He says, I can either do it because I want to do it and I get a reward, or I have to do it because it's my managerial responsibility that was given to me by God. Which one? of the two gives him a way out. No way out. You got two choices. Either you do it voluntarily and receive a blessing for it, or you do it under compulsion, meaning you don't want to do it, but you have to do it. Because there is no other choice. I mean, for a preacher, there's no choice. People come to me and they go, man, why? how in the world can you stand on principles that make that many people mad? Because I can imagine how mad God gets. There are rules that I have to follow as a pastor I don't always like. I don't like having to call people out. I don't like having to tell people that they don't get to teach their class anymore because of a lifestyle choice that they made. I don't like conflict any more than anybody else does. But God wants his church protected. How do you protect it? You stand on the truth and you leave no space for error. No matter how uncomfortable it is. Why? Because I'm going to stand before God and give an account. And according to, according to Scripture, who's going to suffer the greatest consequences for not doing their job? Those who teach and preach. So if I ever offend you, I never intend to. But please understand, I'm much more afraid of him than I am you. As long as there are individuals who are functioning the way that God called us to in our lives, we will be individuals who will get along. We'll be individuals who will be able to teach and disciple and to move people forward in the relationship with Christ. Why? Because in those cases, we move in unity. Because we're all looking to get the same thing. What then? What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make the full use of my right in the gospel. 
For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, so as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. I become all things to all people. He's saying, I become a Gentile to a Gentile. This doesn't mean that he enters into their lifestyles. But it does mean that you... <laughs> Sorry, it's going to take me a second. You ever walk into a situation where people are drinking? How do you react? Some people don't. Some people walk out. Walk into a, if you walked into a party, had all your kids with you. And there are people in there drinking and showing signs of assured drunkenness. Would you be encouraged to hang around? There's not a wrong choice there, honestly. You either teach your kids what the world's like in the circumstance, or you remove them from the, from the, the situation. But why is it that we as Christians, the places that we try to push people away from going are the very places that you'll find sinners. Can a Christian go in a bar? Yes, they can. Should they drink? No. Can they belly up to a person at a table who is drinking, have a conversation with them? Till the bar asks you to leave. <laughs> Preachers aren't good for bar's business. But we don't criticize people because they're failing. We don't criticize people because they're sinners. Do sinners know better? So sinners who are acting in complete and total ignorance. Christians who are supposed to be acting in complete and total purpose and plan. Which of the two is more guilty? Who's failing who? Is the transgender person failing us? No. Is the homosexual failing us? No. We're failing them by leaps and bounds. Because we put their sin on the top of the pile and turned a spotlight on it and said, shame on them. I become all things to all people. You know what that means? I don't engage in the sin. But in order to reach a homosexual, I become a homosexual. Hear me out. You ever had a conversation with a homosexual? They easy to talk to? They say some pretty disturbing things. To them, they're normal things. Conversations they have every day with other people. But when 
a heterosexual, I'm saying, they're pretty eye-opening things to hear. So do you blast them for being who they are? Or do you have to have an opportunity to get to know people before they may take your words seriously? You see, this is why we don't have signs on our door that say no homosexuals allowed. We don't have signs on our door that say no, transsexu- no, no transgenders allowed. We don't put signs up to keep people away from the gospel. The truth is most of them aren't going to come in here. Most of our interaction is not going to be within the four walls of a church. Most of our interaction with them is going to be at Walmart when we pass them in the aisle. It's going to be when we have the opportunity to actually show somebody Jesus instead of being the hypocritical bigots that we, that we, we are. Admitting that's half of it. Because we want to criticize people for the things they do. We want to criticize people. If Jesus is expected to get into the darkest of places, how does the thing that he wants to the center get there without being shot down first? It's love. You love them, they'll let you in. You keep loving them, they'll let you in deeper. Before you know it, you have a platform to tell some people who need Jesus about Jesus. Don't think your choices don't matter. Because they do. They may not have any impact on you whatsoever. But they do everybody else around you. The use of our liberty, as free as it is, man, we got to pay closer attention to the specifics of how we're using it. Because woe is me if not only do I not proclaim the gospel, but woe is me if I'm someone who is actively, through my actions, hindering someone from finding Christ. That's double bad. So in closing, I have a question for you. The past days, years of your life, what kind of a Christian have you been? Have you been one who has accepted the full benefit of the liberty that Christ provides? That full benefit that says it doesn't matter what you do from this point forward the rest of your life. Your heart's always going to be in the right place. Your intentions are always going to be good. But you who have accepted the benefit of forgiveness from sins, past, present, and future. So does your choices really matter anymore if you're okay? Let's not forget about them. When these little kids come in here this week, and we always get at least one, sometimes we inherit more than one, and those little kids, they step on that last nerve that you got. Just remember, there are no consequences for you for your actions. None. But what are our actions going to do to that little kid if we don't prayerfully respond to them the way that they're supposed to. Adults, a lot of adults work at Vacation Bible School. Adults get along pretty good, but they also get in each other's way once in a while. Same question, no matter the circumstance. Is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, is it providing cultivation for the gospel? Or is it pouring concrete on the ground to prevent the seed from being planted? because every choice that we make has an impact. Jesus wants 
the lost to be saved. If you're here today, you've never trusted in him. It's a simple gospel. God sent him, was born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was put in a grave, borrowed one, rose from it three days later. Not only provided salvation, but every Christmas we have a time that we talk about what would our life be without, what would our life be without that little baby? And I can't help but think, especially since I've been studying this, I can't help but think that there are people who are walking the earth who don't know what I know. They've never known love, real love. They've never known peace. They've never really known happiness, and that's why the suicide rate so high in this country. They hurt. And the church is continuing to grow a culture that walks by them with the blinders on. Because we're doing church. We feel like we're doing what we're supposed to. But the thing is, we were never asked by Jesus to do church. We were asked by him to proclaim the simple message of the gospel because it has the power to save souls and change lives. So if today you want to trust in him, come up here and tell me you want to trust in him. And I will take whatever time is necessary to sit and make sure that you know him as well as you need to know him. Believer, we fall off track once in a while. Culture engages us constantly, and it pushes. And it pushes us so slow that we don't even realize how far out of position we get pushed. So one day we open our eyes and we see that the patterns that we've allowed our lives to fall into are patterns that are exclusive to the gospel. It's something we don't talk about. We don't share. And I think it's time for that to change. It's a little step back in the right direction. Because the church won't grow from CR. Won't grow from children's ministry, won't grow from adult ministries at all. The church only grows from one thing. The gospel. And all of those ministries become significant because of that gospel. They proclaim it, but they also nurture it so that children are discipled up into what God wants them to be. You don't have to come up. I have no special power. But during this invitation time, between God and listen to Him. He'll help show you where you're at. He's good at moving our hearts. And then you're just responsible to Him. love nothing more than to see this whole community trust in Jesus and we have a little bit of something to say about that Amen thank you brother Keith and for those listening on the podcast I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord if you've never placed your trust in Jesus now is the time to do so by default We are all sinners, separated from God, and there is nothing we can do 
on our own to fix that. That's why God sent his only son Jesus to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, he came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons. 